0: Good morning, church. How are we all today? Happy to be in the house of the Lord? It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? So, uh, for those of you who are joining us today, two weeks ago we started a new series uh, called Led by the Spirit. As we explore uh, the, the, letter, the letter of uh, Paul to the Galatians in chapter 5, where he lists uh, the num- a number of fruits of the Spirit. And over the past two weeks, we saw love and joy. So today, uh, we'll be looking at the third fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. So these uh, fruits of the Spirit is uh, enumerated, listed in the book of Galatians. So to give you a bit of a background of the book of Galatians... Paul is writing to, to the churches, and particularly in the book of Galatians, he is writing to them to warn them against uh, those uh, people who have tried to pervert the gospel which he initially preached to them. So he preached to them a gospel, the gospel of faith, that they they will be saved by faith in Christ Jesus. But then after he preached to them that pure gospel, there came other Jews and they preached to them that well, in order to be saved, you know, you guys have to keep the law, you have to be circumcised, you have to do all this and that. So they perverted that gospel of truth which Paul preached to them. So Paul is writing this uh, letter to the Galatians in order to reawaken them to the truth in the gospel that he preached to them initially. That they don't have to keep the, the law, that they don't have to go through all those procedures and and ways that the pure faith in Christ Jesus is all that they need in order to be saved. So he's trying to exhort the church not to succumb to those false teachings, uh, that they, they could get salvation through the law. But unfortunately, the people have already given in to these new teachings, and they have quickly turned away from the gospel that Paul preached to them. So Paul uh, hesitates and tells them that he wonders whether he, 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 he really labored in vain by preaching the gospel to them because they quickly turned away from the truth. So in his message in the book of Galatians, he gets stern with them and he tries again to preach salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So now his message concerning being led by the Spirit comes towards the end of the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Uh, and here is why I think this is. You see, Paul doesn't want to come a third time or write them a third time and preach the gospel to them a third time. He now wants to show them the key to maintain that salvation, that pure gospel, and so that they could grow in spirit and so that they will not be easily shaken by the teachings that come and go. So in essence, Paul is saying to them, it all comes down to this. Are you led by the spirit or are you led by the flesh? Let's read Galatians chapter 5 from verse 16 to 25. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, here here he is trying to summarize all he has been saying in in the previous four chapters. And he's saying, I say then, meaning therefore. This is the conclusion. This is what you are supposed to do. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we pray this morning that you will teach us, that you will enlighten us with the truth of your word, that you will give us the grace to tap into the potential of these fruits of the Spirit that are laid in our hearts and in our spirits. Holy Spirit, minister to each and every one in this congregation today. Direct direct your word into our hearts. Strengthen the weak with your word today. Counsel the fainted hearts today with your word. And let, let the strength of your Spirit awaken each and every one of us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So before getting into the subject of peace, which is the third fruit of the Spirit, let me uh, continue to lay down the foundation uh, which my, the previous preachers have done. Uh, so the first thing that we need to realize is Paul describes these fru- this uh, list as fruits of the Spirit. These are fruits, Notice that Paul describes them as fruits, not works of the Spirit. This was not accidental. It was not an accidental choice of words. You see, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul wants to put us in remembrance of what Jesus talked about in the the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him Bears much fruit, for without me you cannot do anything. Now, have you ever seen a branch hanging out on its own, just floating on the air and chilling? No that, no, no, that does not happen. In order for the branch to be alive, it has to remain connected, it has to be grafted into that vine or the trunk and receive the life that flows from the vine. So the same applies to these fruits of the Spirit. They are only manifested in the life of a person who is continually attached and connected to the life-giving Christ. Now, another implication of this is that these fruits of the Spirit are not the products of human effort. Now, what is the contribution of the branch to bringing forth those fruits except to remain connected? And to allow that life in the vine to flow through it. So when we received the Lord Jesus into our lives, when we accepted the Lord as our personal savior, we have allowed that fruit of the spirit to be imprinted into our hearts. We already have it. It's already in our spirit. We have already received it. These are freely given to us by by the divine power of God And they are readily available to be accessed through the Spirit. Speaking about this, Peter in his epistle says, in 2 Peter chapter 1, from verse 3 to 4, Peter says, His divine power, meaning God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It doesn't say we are going to receive it someday. It doesn't say we are going to get this divine power or the things that we need to, 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 to life and godliness someday. But he says, we have already get, received it. God has already given us everything, not some things, not one or two things. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and excellence. Through this, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Hallelujah. So these fruits of the Spirit that are listed in the book of Galatians, they are the divine natures of God. And in order for us to become partakers of this divine nature, God has already given us everything that we need by the moment we received Christ Jesus. They are already imprinted into our hearts. They are already within our spirits. So this message that Peter uh, wrote also applies to us and we have received by the divine power of God whatever it is that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Now the second implication is these are called fruits of the spirit. Of the spirit. I just say that these fruits are not the products of human effort. They are the virtues of God which are manifested in us and through us, and that is why these fruits are described as fruits of the spirit. They are not fruits of the mind, even though they do affect the mind. They are not fruits of the soul, even though they will nourish and enrich the soul. These fruits are the characters of the spirit man within us, the inner man of the spirit, or as Peter calls it, the hidden man of the heart. In our spirits, the, the love of God has already been shed abor- abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you can access your spirit, the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, everything, it's already there. So the third implication is walk in the spirit. Now, only those who walk in the Spirit will be able to access these fruits of the Spirit and manifest them in their lives. Nobody that walks in the flesh will walk in love, in joy, and in peace. Because the flesh will always drive you crazy. It will always, yeah, it will drive you to hate and not love. But when you walk in the Spirit, you will, you will have access to these fruits of the Spirit And you can manifest them in your life. And it is written, my peace I give unto you. Jesus Jesus has already given us his peace. In the book of Romans, it is also written, the love of God has already been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it's already there. What we need to exercise, therefore, is to walk in the Spirit. Meaning we need to walk in the light of the word of God. And become doers of the word and not just hearers only. And then these fruits of the spirit will begin to manifest. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul, writing to Timothy, uh, tells him, exercise yourself unto godliness. You see, godliness is a virtue. And we have to exercise ourselves. If we want a physical strength, we have to go to the gym and exercise. The same applies to our spirit. If we want these fruits of the Spirit to be manifested in our lives, we have to exercise towards godliness. Now, let us now turn our, our attention to the third fruit of the Spirit, peace. Now, the Greek word used in the New Testament is "Irene," you can, you can see it there. It means one. It, it shows unity, completeness. Or it means peace and quietness or rest. And in the Old Testament, which is originally written in the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word used to describe peace is shalom, which is interpreted into completeness, soundness and welfare and peace. I uh, I have subtitled my message as Peace, Stable in the Midst of Trouble. Everything doesn't have to be perfect in order for us to be at peace. We live in a fallen world. We live in a corrupted body. We live in a corrupted environment. But the peace that Jesus promised us is a peace that can keep us stable in the midst of trouble. So peace is the most sought-after virtue in our world today. Uh, We need it in our personal lives. We need it in our home. We need it in our lives. We need it in our children. We need it in our city, uh, we need it in our government, we need it in the whole world, we need it in our neighboring countries because uh, a chaos somewhere is going to creep into, uh, into our environment. So we want to have a peaceful environment everywhere. And peace is the reason why we have laws and institutions, why we have law enforcement agencies, the police and the courts of law, because we want peace All around us, we want that assurance of safety in our daily lives. We want peace so that our children could go to school and come uh, come safely to to their house. So, whenever we see a breach of the peace around us, we are quick to condemn it and we are quick to demand it from our authorities. And peace is also the most sought-after virtue, globally speaking. You see, the United Nations was established primarily to work towards a peaceful world. After the end of the Second World War, which claimed the lives of millions of people and caused innumerable casualties and displaced millions of people, nations gathered together and created what they assumed would drive them towards peace, a unity, and they created the United Nations And I have Article 1 of the United Nations Charter here for you. So Article 1 of the United Nations Charter, this is a lesson in international law. (laughs) It declares four purposes for the establishment of the United Nations. And Article 1 says the purpose of the United Nations are, so the first one is to maintain international peace and security. And to that end, to take effective collective measures for the prevention and removal of threats to the peace and for the suppression of acts of aggression and other breaches of the peace and to bring about by peaceful means and in conformity, in conformity with the principles of justice and international law, adjustment or settlement of international disputes or situations which might lead to a breach of the peace. So the word peace here is mentioned Five times in this single paragraph noting how much of a concern it is to the global community of states. So we see that peace is desired by everyone and everyone does what he thinks is better to get it and to maintain that peace. Now it's good that we have these laws and institutions in our countries and in the world to attempt to work towards peace. Thank God for these institutions. Thank God for the police and the laws and the courts. But as Christian folks, we sure know that that is not enough. We are looking for the fruit of the Spirit where it does not exist. We are looking for the living among the dead. So what does the Charter of God say about the subject of peace? We truly know as Christians that this is a fruit of the Spirit and we could only find it in the father of lights in god so what does the bible teach us what does the charter of god teach us about the subject of peace first thing let's see at the source of peace the bible teaches us that jesus christ is the source of peace in isaiah chapter 6 from verse in, in isaiah chapter 9 sorry from verse 6 to 7 we read For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, one of the the names that the prophet Isaiah declares forth concerning Jesus is a prince of peace. Now Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ and by this prophetic spirit he announces to us that one of the names of the the coming Messiah is that he is a prince of peace. That means Jesus has authority over peace. That means he can command peace and he possesses peace. It means that wherever Jesus reigns there is going to be peace. Let's look at a list of other scriptures to underscore the fact that God is the source of peace. In Psalms 29, verse 11, we read, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Now, the Lord blesses his people with peace because he has peace. And he can give peace because he possesses peace. And in Psalms 85 verse 8, we read this word. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people. Now God promises peace to his people because he has it. Isn't that true? You can't promise to someone what you don't have. But the Lord promises peace to his people because he is the source of true and genuine and everlasting peace. A kind of genuine peace that can keep you stable in the midst of your troubles. And in the gospel of John chapter 14 verse 27, Jesus says, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. Now I want to draw your attention closer to this verse in John chapter 14 verse 27. Now this happened a few days before Jesus was betrayed and given over to the authorities. So in the book of in the gospel of John chapter 13 14 15 and 16 Jesus is talking with his disciples and telling them that the time has come that he should depart unto the father that the time has come that he should die for the sins of men and the sins of the world and that he would be going to the father. He also tells them about the future and and how they will face many challenges in the years to come, as they go ahead with the gospel, he tells them that they would be hated, that they will be persecuted. And hearing this, uh, it, it became heavy on their hearts, and the disciples were anxious, and they were worried. So Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. And in, in, in chapter 17 of the gospel of John, Jesus then prays for them. And one of the prayers that he prays for them is this. Chapter 17, verse 15 Jesus said, praying to the Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but, I, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now Jesus knew how corrupted the world was. He knew how challenging the times were ahead of this, his disciples. He knew they were going to be persecuted. They were going to be despised. They were going to be beaten and flogged and thrown into prison. And some of them killed. But with many words and promises, Jesus encourages them. And one of the promises that he gave them was John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace, I live with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now the peace that the world could give us, it lasts until everything is perfect. It will not endure when temptations and challenges come. It will not survive when you are encompassed about with challenges in your lives, in your health, in your finances, in your marriage, in your family. It will just quickly fade. But the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ gives is like an anchor. It keeps your soul stable in the midst of trouble. In the midst of a rocking boat, the Jesus kind of peace gives you a sweet sleep. Jesus slept in a rocking boat that the disciples thought was going to ruin their lives. And this Jesus kind of peace gives you that quietness of spirit when you stand accused in the face of your enemies. Jesus stood silent in the face of King Herod. It It was this peace that Jesus promised and did give to his disciples. And perhaps the best demonstration for this is the life of Peter. Now, one account of the persecution that the disciples faced in their, in, the, in their ministry is written in the book of Acts, chapter 12. Let's quickly read chapter 12 of the book of Acts from verse 1 to verse 10. Now, about the time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass them from the church, Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And Herod was about to bring him out. That night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And the chain, his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts they came to the iron gate that leads to the city which opened to them of its own accord and they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him Here is an interesting account of a restless Peter that we know in his earlier in his earlier days with Jesus sleeping in a prison cell awaiting his execution here is once a fierce warrior who chopped off the ear of one of the, the persons that came to apprehend Jesus, bound with two chains, in between soldiers, and guess what? He is sleeping. He was so asleep that the angel had to strike him to wake him up. And this is unprecedented. This is so unpeterly. This is a total transformation. Of Peter, because this is not the Peter that we knew in the Gospels. But as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was a, a totally different man. Herod is going to execute him the next morning, and guess what? In a prison cell, he is sleeping, having a good night's sleep. <laughs> there are some preachers who would want to criticize Peter, saying that he should have been praising the Lord just like uh, Paul and Silas. In, in the, who were praising the Lord in the prison, but I want to see how those preachers would do if they were in that same situation. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they could sleep. Well, what happened to Peter? I think this is what happened to him. Peace happened to him. Remember what Jesus said? My peace I give you. Peter and the apostles have received that mantle of peace from the Lord, and I believe that that is the prominent explanation for what happened here. Peter was filled with the peace of the Lord. He has cast all his cares upon the Lord. He has given all his worry to the Lord so that he could sleep in the midst of that trouble, awaiting his execution the next morning. The same Peter wrote to, to the believers in his epistle, saying in 1 Peter chapter 5, from verse 6 to 7, he wrote, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Now, would you receive this, this advice from Peter? Yes, I would. Because he is a person who has passed through lots of troubles. And he really knows what it means to cast all your cares upon the Lord. He's been there. The reason why he managed to get a good night's sleep in that prison cell, awaiting to be executed the next morning, I believe was because, was because he cast out all his care upon the Lord. He just laid it down on him. He just he he doesn't he did not want to worry about it. Yes, he's going to die tomorrow morning. But he knows the Lord is on his throne and he knows that even if he dies, he's going to meet with the Lord. This is the peace that the Lord gave to his disciples. Now, what must I do to flow in this kind of peace? is the next question that I want to raise. And quickly, I want to just mention two things. The first thing is, trust in the Lord. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, trust is the antidote to frustration. It's the antidote. Now, as long as you keep your eyes focused on the problems and challenges of life, you will continue to frustrate. But when you begin to lift up your eyes to heaven and begin to trust in the Lord, that burden is quickly lifted. So trust Him because He is able to meet your needs and He is able to answer your prayers. Trust Him because He knows what is best for you. Trust Him. Because he really cares for you. I want to drill this into your spirit. Jesus cares for you, he does care for you, he does care for you individually. Know that. That knowledge will give you that strength to trust in the Lord in spite of what's going on around you. And the second thing to do is once you've trusted in the Lord, stop worrying. Yeah, that goes together with this. It goes together with trust. You can't trust the Lord and continue to worry about things. So if you trust in the Lord, then stop worrying. Worrying is the weapon of the enemy to keep you focused on the problems of life. And it will do you nothing good. Now, has anyone ever made any progress by worrying over a situation? I don't think so. But together with trusting in the Lord... If you quit worrying, then the devil will lose its grip on your mind. And here is what the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, from verse 6 to 7. Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing. Another translation says, Do not fret. Or the King James Version says, Be careful for nothing. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in how many things? In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And as you do this, he says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. But in order for this peace of God to flow in your heart, there is, the first thing, there is the first thing that we have to do. And that is to stop worrying. Be anxious for nothing. What is Paul saying here? Stop worrying. Do not fret. Well, you might say, well, you don't know, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know the challenges that I am passing through. Well, that may be true. But this is the advice in the bible this, this advice in the bible came from the apostle paul a person who has been through it all in second corinthians this is the last verse that i'll be reading in second corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23 to 28 paul lists all the troubles that he has went through and here he says i have worked much harder been in prison more frequently I've been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything, I face daily the pressure of my concern for, for all the churches. Here, this is Paul listing all the troubles that he has been going through in his ministry. And it is the same Paul who wrote to us in the book of Philippians chapter four, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So we need to take Paul seriously because it's coming from a person who has experienced everything. Therefore, as we trust in the Lord and quit worrying, that peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it will keep you stable in the midst of trouble. May I ask the band to come as we prepare to finish I just want us all to bow down and close our eyes and just communicate with the Holy Spirit right now just invite him into your heart now put the Lord in remembrance of his promise which he said my peace I give you Jesus did not take his peace away when he left. He left it for us. He gave it to us. And that peace is the anchor of our soul, which can keep us all stable, which can keep us all in peace and in quietness and in perfect completeness. This fruit of the Spirit called peace, only Jesus could give it to us. So whatever it is, the situation that you are passing through, teach your soul today to trust in the Lord. Tell your soul to trust in the Lord this morning. And convince your mind to stop worrying. Because the Lord Jesus Christ indeed cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for your health. He cares for your work. He cares for your spiritual life. He cares for your house. He cares for your home. He cares for your marriage. He he cares for your education. He cares for your finances. Just give it up for the Lord. Lay everything at his feet. Cast all your cares upon him. He won't betray you. The Lord is sufficient. He is the only source of an everlasting and enduring peace for your lives. Father God, we bless your name this morning. We just want to allow the quietness and the peace of the Lord to reign in our hearts this morning. Lord, we put you in remembrance of your promise that you would give us your peace. Confirm your word this morning. Let any soul that is troubled find your peace this morning. Let any person who is worrying over situations and circumstances of life find that peace, the Jesus kind of peace that would keep the the soul stable in the midst of trouble. Grant this peace to each and every one of us this morning. And as we go out into the world, oh God, let that peace that is in us begin to manifest in our areas and in our workplace, in our homes, in our relationships, and everywhere that we are, Let the peace of God also flow into our city and into everywhere that we go. Father, we thank you for you are a faithful God who keeps his covenants and promises. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.